train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's worth hearing a second time. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. And as we do so, I want us to do something as an introduction to this message about the kind of expectations you had when you were growing up what your parents instilled in you. I've already asked my wife to share one and she's going to do that in just a moment. But one of mine, maybe you all had this one too, but I would like for you to come up with a different one. I'm willing to pass the mic around for for whoever's willing, the wireless, not this thing, um, to share with you um, what my parents taught me. And you're going to know why they taught this to me because I was one of those kids where um, I didn't mean to cause a scene in church. I was just being me and doing what I do every day. And you're going to hear some of those stories today and you're going to wonder how come I'm still alive. I can remember times when my parents, my mother especially, would drag me all the way home, not a few feet either, by the ear, so upset and embarrassed by the things I had done. If she were alive today and my father were alive today and and I told these stories and I'm going to share with you in a little bit, they would say, why do you have to embarrass us again? (laughs) But this time... It's on me. Um, But one of the things they said, children should be seen in church and not heard. Yes. That was the one they kept trying to convince me was the one that was appropriate for me all the way through high school. Um, yes, all the way through high school. But that's another story. Um, you have one else? My parents taught me if the doors are open, you are there, and we were always the last ones to leave. Yes. That is still true. <laughs> Anybody else have one? Is that you have an expectation? I was taught that too. If the doors were open, I was here. Didn't matter if it was Sunday night, Wednesday night. I had other plans. I came to church first. And my mom and daddy told me when I met Willie, the only way they would let me date him was if he came to church with me. Praise God for that. Well, apparently they're still letting you date him. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else like to share one? You don't have to use the mic if you don't want to, but it's too uncomfortable. Can you help her shut that off? Otherwise, we're going to get some pretty bad feedback here in a minute. Um, Thank you uh, for that. I want to share. I share those with you because. uh, a lot of times in life we talk about church, different things, and we talk about embarrassing moments in our lives. And sometimes if someone asks you, what is your most embarrassing moment? You can probably come up with one or two, maybe one big one. But what about this question? <laughs> I, I had trouble with this one because there's so many. What is your most embarrassing moment you ever had in church? <laughs> Just had it, huh? <laughs> If you asked my parents what theirs was, it would have been me. 
I can tell you why. When I was three, I started young. I was in the nursery in the basement, and I don't, I don't remember this, okay? Thank God we don't remember earlier stuff because we'd be mortified of some of the stuff we did as little kids, I'm sure. But I was three years old in the nursery. Somehow I got out. Somehow I went upstairs, and I'm only like this tall, right? And I started at the back, side to side, looking at each two, going, is my mother in there? Is my mother in there? All the way down, my mother always sat in the second row on the left from the front. So every pew. And my mother's finally going, that's my son. <laughs> but that was her embarrassing moment. But I was, a, if I'd have remembered that, I, I might have been embarrassed. But that's funny. But maybe that is where my pastor instinct began. I'm not sure. You know, they say personality is set by age five. So I'm looking for people to be in church. See? Where are they at? Are they here today? But the research now tells us that our personality continues to develop throughout our lives. That we can change. That old dogs can learn new tricks. If not, I would have been in serious trouble when my sister died while I was in first grade. Because I was very, very much um, traumatic about that. And all that trauma would have been a part of me for forever. Affecting me every moment of the day. That wouldn't have been good. But I want to tell you a little bit more. <laughs> I can't believe that this stuff I did this, but I do. I remember these. Back to embarrassing my parents, which for some reason, I don't know why, I wasn't embarrassed. Fifth grade. My dad had a secretary. He was a pastor. The, I didn't tell you that. My dad's a pastor at the church. So my dad has seen his son back and forth all the way on that one or one fifth grade my buddy and I decided we wanted to see what kind of bulletins they would have each Sunday because certain bulletins flew better than others flew flew yes we would make airplanes and if they were the good ones the real thick paper and they had the right color you could shape them they looked really cool when you folded them we would talk about where we're going to fly them and out of what kind of airplane we're going to build out of that paper each day and build airplanes throughout the entire church service. Oh yeah, they had to make extra bulletins for us. We never had extra bulletins left over at church. My friend and I had about seven or eight paper airplanes that we were folding and talking, yes, talking about while my dad was preaching. But one particular Sunday I said, man, this is going to go good. He's going, do it now. <laughs> do it now. And I'm going, no, you. And he says, Oh, no, no, no. That's your dad preaching. You should throw it. <laughs> I thought that was good logic. <laughs> it is my dad. You're right. You would, you would get in real bad trouble with your parents because your dad is the one preaching. The only one going to be mad is my dad. Not my dad and your dad. That's good logic. So I kind of toward the back of the church and my dad stopped the sermon and said, Son... I'm trying to preach here. I'd appreciate it if you would not fly your airplanes while I'm doing that. It's true. I remember one time, I don't know how I got there, but I was four and I ended up in the pulpit behind my dad untying his shoes. I'm serious. I did all sorts of crazy stuff and don't know why. But uh, I thought I was helping him. But I got older. 
And a little later, I decided to get my friends in trouble instead of me. And I remember hearing something in school from a school kid, and he thought it was so funny. So I thought I'd chat on my friend, who was a couple years behind me in school. I was in sixth grade. He was in fourth. We're sitting in front of his parents, two rows in front of his parents. And we did this thing with tickle, tickle under your chin. If you're pregnant, you will grin. And since it tickled, he started to laugh. And I went, oh, when's it do? When's it do? He started laughing harder. Then he did it to me and I started laughing. Then we did it back and forth. And all of a sudden, there's this big hand comes from two rows back. And this guy picks up my friend, levitates him through the air, plops him down, and and sets him right back next to him. I'm going, well, that was embarrassing. I said, do it to your dad. And he goes, quit it. (laughs) But that's the kind of kid I was, right? I mean, I was a bad nuisance sometimes, but the most embarrassed I ever was. And this is a, this was a bad habit. The church that we were in had a, had an entrance that was like square, and there was a door in the main section, and it had a side section door. And after service started, the ushers shut the doors. If you open those doors, they squeak really loud. And for some reason, I was always late to church waiting for an appropriate moment when it was loud in the sanctuary for the doors to open so I go in unnoticed. I don't know, people see me late, right? And they squeak, everybody turns and looks, you know. As a kid, I thought that was really bad. So you got to wait until it's quiet. Especially the door on the left. Because it's really noisy. And so I'd wait until a song or people were shaking hands. And then I'd go in and slip in. And most of the time, only one or two people would see me. However, on one day, I heard them announce, I was in seventh grade, that the seventh graders are now going to present a song to you today. And I went, oh, I don't remember practicing this. I must have missed it. Must have been late. And they said, if they will come forward at this time, they will now sing for you. Well, you know what I did? I'm still hiding out in the square here and I push the squeakiest door open they all look at me I walk up to the front and stand up with them and I sing a song I've not practiced and I'm looking out and my friend who's in my class is looking at me like and laughing (laughs) and another friend of mine is laughing and my sister who's a grade ahead of me is standing next to me going like this I'm going oh it's because I was late that's what it was. And uh, after service, they told me that it was the seventh and eighth grade girls <laughs> that were presenting a song today. I never lived that down. Thank God, a year later we moved. <laughs> that was the only advantage about being a preacher's kid. We'd move a lot. And we get a chance to start over without those memories of other folks. Remember when you did that? They don't remember. <laughs> but then that kind of crazy? But those were embarrassing moments to my parents, too. Because they got to witness all of them. When I was in high school, we attended my sister's church near St. Louis. It wasn't a Methodist church. It wasn't Baptist. It was uh, called Christian Fellowship Center. It started in a storefront. We went there a few times, and then they had a lot of people going. And the pastor was spiritually gifted in a lot of different ways. And so they got their own building. And we went to the service one day. Now, now this isn't an embarrassing moment. It was a learning moment. The kind of church it was, they called at that time, charismatic. Now they would call it non-denominational. 
but charismatic, which means they did laying on of hands, talking in tongues, prophecy, and all this other stuff, and I had never seen anything like it in my life. I, I heard him do that. I said, Ma, I can't understand what they're saying. She said, they're talking in tongues. I'm going, what one? Yeah. I don't understand that language. What is it? She says, I don't know. It's a, it's, I don't know. It's Jesus or something. And I said, well, well, I don't do that. And she said, you're not supposed to. Hear that? She said, you're not supposed to. You're a Methodist. That's what she said. And then, a little later, someone stood up and said a prophecy. And it was a prophecy that spoke to me about the things I was struggling with. I said, what was that? And someone said, that was a prophecy. I said, we don't do that in the church. They said, they should. Speak a word over people. Tell the truth about what God's saying to them. You would be amazed. And I said, but we don't do that. And they said, just because you don't do that doesn't mean it's not right. And I said, Mom, what was that? She said, that's not a Methodist thing. That's a charismatic thing. We don't do that in church. All sorts of things. And then one moment later, a young boy, uh, about 12 years old, walked up and asked the pastor there who had the gift of healing to lay his hands on him over his leg. As he prayed, I watched as his right leg began to grow. And when he got done praying for him, I said, what just happened? And my dad, who was with me, said, he has the gift of healing. It's the only man I know who really has it. And his leg just got longer. When he walked back, he's walking like this. And I said, it didn't work. He said he had a three-inch insole in his shoe. Now he's limping on his short leg, which is now long. He needs to get new shoes and he'll walk normal. But his leg actually extended right in front of my eyes. I saw that. And I said, why don't we do that? He said, because that kind of said, it's a Methodist church. Come on, we don't do that. And I said, what? What's, well, but, but this happened. And he goes, I know it happened, but not everybody does that. So I learned certain things don't happen in church. These folks would sing. They would have their hands up, talking in tongues and singing all sorts of different languages and, and not the song. I'd be going, what's going on? And my sister would explain to me, well, they're talking to Jesus in a Jesus language. I said, but they're not singing the song. She said, I know that's the way we do it here. And I said, do you do it like that? She says, not yet. I was raised Methodist. I'm still learning I can do that. And so all these things became my expectations of what's appropriate, what's not appropriate in church. It colored. Now I promise you, it's still not appropriate to fly airplanes in church. (laughs) I almost called this sermon airplanes in the air, but I didn't want people to do that. (coughs) But it wasn't either. Um, But isn't it true that when we grow up, we learn certain things. As his proverb says, we learn when we're young and we're older, we learn what's expected and not expected of us. And it's in true in every part of our life, whether it's uh, manners or talking to people. We learn these things. And in this proverb, where it says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That word train up is a Hebrew word that means narrow or initiate or discipline, or dedicate. And and what it's trying to say is, when you focus in and narrow down choices of behavior by eliminating ones that aren't appropriate. So you're narrowing down. So narrow a child's options of what's right and wrong 
And then, as he gets older, those choices that he has to choose from won't be extremes. It'll be somewhere on the path that you as a parent would like that child to walk on. And a little deviation one side to the other is expected, but not extremes. And so that's what happens, and it says, to narrow down a child's choices of what's right and what's wrong instead of having free reign all over the place. And this is true. And not only does it say to train up a child, it also says in the way that they should go. Now this word, in the way, it kind of resembles the word road that's well traveled. Or a course of our life. A mode of action. Not just about teaching behaviors, but about how life should be. That your life should take this kind of road. That if you go this direction, it's not appropriate for people to do that. That sense of right and wrong on the course of life. So, it's narrowing down the choices so that they make healthy life decisions so that when they do things, they know which way they should and should not go. Does that make sense? Yes. And when that happens for us, as we get older, we no longer have to think, well, you know, should I color in church? Well, as adults, we generally don't do that. Kids, we want them busy so they're not distracting, right? That's kind of why churches started doing children's church and uh, uh, what they call it, um, nurseries and things like that, so that the adults could hear and be a part of the worship. So that the children could get something to do while the parents didn't have anything for them to do. And that's what that came from. But our, our life, if you will, as a road, the in the way, you might remember that Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am life. Right? And when they taught people who were new Christians in the New Testament church, they called it the way. This is the way. So it says, if you narrow down your choices so they choose a way, the way, that they should go, it says when they get older... They won't depart from it. Um, but this word go here doesn't just mean travel. It means a portion or a part. It's when we teach a child what belongs to them and what does not. You're entitled to this, but not that. It's called boundaries and limits. So we're narrowing their choices on the path of life that is their portion of it. They don't get it all. Not one person runs everything. That's what Adolf Hitler tried to do. That's what Alexander tried to do in Napoleon. And it does not work for one person to do that. So that way, the course of life, that road, is a direction that is their portion of their life. That it's for them. It's their part. They get that, and it's for them. But it also says there are things that are for others that are not for them. And the last thing it says is when they're old, they will not depart from it. This word depart, it means to turn off, or to withdraw, to rebel, or to be without it. In other words, if you raise your child, no matter how you've done it, 
what you said to them is going to be the voice in the back of their mind in every decision they make for the rest of their life. I don't know if it's true for you, but I still hear my parents' voices and I'm almost 52. Mm -hmm. I still hear them saying things. Oh, you shouldn't do that. Or if I'm raising my child, I hear what they said to me as a child and I want to share it with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so it says that as we get older, this stuff stays with us. We may not draw on it. We may not use it all the time. And we may flat out reject it. But it's still a part of who we are and what makes us uniquely us. And this isn't a bad thing. It's just the truth that what we learn younger and have repeated, we get to keep. Good or bad? You learn how to act when you're growing up in church from watching others. Hopefully I didn't destroy people's adult life church by how I responded in my younger years. Because I can remember young Scott Davis flying up over the bench. I have to tell you this, this has nothing to do with this story uh, and message. But Scott Davis was one of those kids who uh, was a thumb sucker all the way through college. And uh, when I was tickling him, he was sucking on his thumb. When his dad pulled him up, his thumb had popped out and was flying through the air. He's trying to stick his thumb back in. And, and the reason I say that is, can you imagine if he's an adult now and he's in church and, and he's trying to do this stuff to other kids around him and other adults and still... Uh, working on that problem of the thumb sucking as an adult? Could you imagine? No. I would hate to have been a part to make that development a reality. But it's true. We learn from watching other people. But what if you were one who never attended church growing up? How would you behave? What would you know to do? Those expectations of what we're supposed to do aren't there. We have a lot of folks who... Uh, come on Wednesday and who want to be a part of a church don't understand it because they've never been. Or they've never been to one where they felt welcome and uh, accepted because they didn't know what church really was all about. You may respond sometimes out of church if you're a person who's never attended one out of what comes naturally. Unfiltered even at times. And some other people look at you and go, uh, uh, your mom never teach you any better about how to behave in church? No. No, my mom never went to church, neither did I. But we think that, don't we? And when I was a kid, don't ask me why, but we used to say that. Didn't your dad teach you how to behave in church? I said, no, he's too busy preaching. <laughs> That's a good one. That was always my response. He couldn't teach me and my mother was too embarrassed to sit by me. I was too embarrassed to sit by her because she was my mother. Some people get offended at times or don't like when people who don't understand church just respond. And it's not what we're used to. And, and it's funny because some of us who are raised in church think it's right or it's wrong. That's not right. You don't do those things in church. One of the things I know most of us have grown up with in churches you don't wear a hat in church 
And, and, and some people who've never been to church go, why do you take your hat off in church? Well, you're not supposed to have it on in church. And then they'd show us pictures in the 50s where all the ladies had these big bonnets on, but the guys do not. Guys do not. It's actually a guy thing. And it's interesting because we have set ideas about what's right or wrong, what's right behavior, how you should dress, how you should talk, how you should act, and it's all because of the way we were raised. But there are some people who were raised in here that children should be seen and not heard, and if you say an amen, you better have other people saying it too so you don't draw attention to yourself. Amen? Amen. See, I prompted so everybody could say it, see? So you wouldn't feel like you couldn't say it. That was what the test was. But you grew up learning this. How long church should last? How you should talk at church? What you should do in church? And a lot of times it's sit down, be quiet, listen, give your tithe if you got one, and then go home. And thank the preacher for a good sermon, whether it was or not. But my parents had it a little different. They said my rules were sit down, be quiet, stop making airplanes, and quit coloring and listen to your dad. Listen to your dad. He's a preacher. But even in high school, I learned and they learned to sit me in the back row. That's where my buddies and I talk football every Sunday. We didn't care about church. We wanted to know who's going to win the game today. It's true. Well, he wanted to talk about it, and he didn't think it was wrong. And my parents just, yeah, but you know, he's talking about it, so it must be okay. But we don't know how to act up in church. So we think that we can't. Oh, the other one I had was um, act like you're singing so you don't get in trouble. Lip-sync the words if you don't want to sing. You don't want people to hear you think you can't sing. Lip-sync so everybody thinks you're singing you're not drawing attention to yourself. Did you have that one? No, you didn't have that? Oh, you all sing whether you sing well or not. huh? Some people um, in our church thought it wasn't okay to not sing. And when I went to a different church, there were people who were raised, if you can't sing, don't sing. It depends on how you were raised, doesn't it? But how many of us here are satisfied that our parents raised us right about church? But I think it's time for some of us to start acting up a little bit. I think it's time for us to start responding to the move of Jesus Christ. Even if it means you're going to have to have your first social faux pas or embarrassing moment today because you got joyful. I got happy in church. I had to say amen. And nobody said I should. I said a hallelujah because God just told me to praise Him. Hallelujah does mean praise the Lord. Amen means I agree. But a lot of folks won't do that unless other people are doing it. We used to have in the Methodist church, I don't know if you knew about this, the Amen Corner. Yeah. They call it the Amen Corner because those are the folks who say the Amen. Nobody else says the Amen. These guys over here. Exactly. You guys, be quiet. Amen Corner is going to do the Amen. So you know when the pastor says something good. Amen. See? Amen Corner right there. Yep. I, I threw up Amen Corner. Yep. So you see what I'm saying? A lot of us won't say Amen. A lot of us won't draw attention to ourselves because if we did, people would look at us and think they're trying to draw attention to themselves. And they're not here for church. They're here to be seen. 
And that's what some people think. That church is a social event to be seen. What they wear, what they dress like, how they wear their clothes, whether they wear them properly. If it's the same thing they wore the week before. And yes, it is the same black jacket I wear every week because I like it. Or it's the only one I got. Oh, I have five of them, but I like that one. I believe God delights in a church full of joyful people. That if you have joy in your heart, that you're happy in God, that it's okay to smile. It's okay to laugh, to enjoy God's presence. If not, you're going to be miserable in eternity because that's where you're going to be. It's people responding to the grace and love of Jesus that really challenges who you are. And it changes who you are when Jesus gets a hold of you. A brand new Christian wants to tell everybody. They're not thinking, well, I wonder if I should or not. I wonder if people want to hear this. I don't want to embarrass myself. They're saying, everybody needs to hear it. But somewhere along the way, we go, you know, People don't want to hear that. I've told them they don't want to hear. I'm just going to be here and be quiet. I'm just going to be nice. Listen. Shake some hands. Tell people I love them. Go back home and do it again next week. God forbid that I do anything that would let you see me enjoy God. Acting up. Oh, let me tell you something. My parents had it wrong. They should have told me this. That if God puts a song in your heart, sing it. That if God puts a prayer on your lips, pray it. If God has a smile that you can't stop sharing, share it. If you have a love in your heart, hug a neck. Not sit down and be quiet. It would have given me something to think about rather than the color of the bulletin and how it would look folded. It would give me something to do rather than looking to see who was there and where my parents were sitting that day. It would give you something to do other than saying, I wonder how long our service is, how long he's going to talk, and if it even makes any sense to me. And it's also going to be something about, I wonder if it will apply, if God will touch my heart today. And if he does, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do? Because if you're trained up in the way that you should, the word offered there is should, according to the standards of the people around you. But in church, God says, be moved by the Holy Spirit. And that can't be taught. If you're given the gift of healing and you don't pray for others for healing, you're missing out on a blessing for others and yourself. If you have the gift of oratory, gift of speaking, and you don't share words with others, or bless them, encourage them, you're missing out on what God wants you to do because you think you should be quiet. God is asking us to act up as the Spirit moves. To challenge us to love spontaneously. (laughs) Oh, I didn't plan for that. (laughs) Exactly. Love does not know bounds or limits. And I believe that if you were to answer the question, have you ever embarrassed yourself in church? Some of us would say absolutely never. God forbid. God forbid. But what if you felt embarrassed, but you were doing something for God in church? 
Would that be okay? A little different, right? A little out of your comfort zone? I think so. It was really neat at our last revival to see people acting up, worshiping for an hour. It was amazing. People loved it. Didn't want it to end. Wanted to carry over on the Sunday mornings. To let go of the electronics and get into Jesus. But we are in church. It's okay to love Jesus in church. It's okay to tell people you love them in church. But I promise you this. If you shut down the joy, because there's a voice in your head that says, you just don't do that here. You're going to miss out. I don't want that for you. I would love to see you bursting at the scene with smile and happy and laughter. Enough so, so that you could come on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Sunday night and say, I'm glad I'm here. And people look around and go, who's making the noise? And you're going, me. Jesus loves me and I love you and I love him and I want you to know it. Guess what? People like being around folks who do that. You just annoy that. That they do. It's called contagious personality or charisma. Now get this. My parents said, we don't do that in a Methodist church. It's not true. United Methodist Church lets us do what we need to do to worship Jesus. And if someone needs to be prayed over for healing, we'll pray over them. We've seen healing happen. Absolutely. And if someone needs a word of encouragement, we're going to speak it over them. If someone needs a prayer, we're going to pray. If someone needs to hear from God, we're going to try and speak the Word of God into their heart and their lives. We're not going to say, well, we just don't do that here because that's how, not how I was raised. Scripture says, the gifts we have we use, we use them to encourage you and edify one another. And that, for some of us, is called acting up. That's what my parents said. Quit acting up in church. Well, quit acting down in church now. You have permission to act up as the Spirit moves to do what God has asked you to do, to love one another and serve one another onto good works for Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with that at all. And if you can grab a hold of that and you were trained that way, don't depart from it. If you were trained not to do that, you still have a choice as an adult not to listen to mom and dad. How about that? If you have a choice, you just have consequences. Absolutely. Absolutely. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much that your word is true, always has been, always will be. And what you say to us through your word is that you love us, that you know us, and that you have desired a relationship with us that transforms our lives so we no longer think the way we used to think act the way we used to think or talk the way we used to think because we're radically different with Jesus inside than we are without Him. Otherwise, we look just like the folks who don't know You, God. And uh, far be it from us to be the same when You call us out to be separate and different. Thank You for Your Word today. May the message in the heart of the people here, Heavenly Father, tune strangely and wonderfully to You. And when we praise You, may our hearts lift in song and say how wonderful You are when we do. Lord, I know you love the praises of your people. That's why you inhabit them. No matter whether it be a praise of word, song, or deed. Amen. Amen.
as our last song is sung, uh, we're going to sing.